0: Well, if you've been tracking with us, we just finished a mini-series through some of the core disciplines. As we said last week, part of growing up is coming to the realization that we are limited, finite beings. And, and with that, we, we know we can commit to some things, not everything, right? So what it looks like to, to grow and to mature spiritually is to learn to live within the limitations of, our, of um, our commitments. And the spiritual disciplines are just that. Uh, they're, they're ways of saying no to some things in order to say yes to better things. So over the past uh, few weeks, we talked about the practice of prayer. We talked about the practice of fasting. And then last week, we talked about the, the practice of solitude in community. Some of these may be new to you. That's great. Um, if, you're, if you're just starting out with some of these practices or restarting some of these practices, you know, we can't encourage you enough to keep going. You know, we, uh, we all know that the tendency to, oh, I've covered that, uh, I'll put that on the shelf and let it collect dust. Uh, Just keep going, and I I encourage you, and I encourage myself uh, in that way. So as I said last week, expect us to return to our next series of little mini-series of spiritual disciplines at some point in the spring. Um, We're we're doing this seasonally this year. So over the next few weeks, uh, we'll be finishing our series through the book of Acts. Uh, we, We left off at the end of chapter 22 a couple of months ago, right before Advent. And uh, you might recall that this whole section, chapters 21 through 28 of Acts, uh, really zeroes in on the trials and, and appeals processes uh, of Paul. Uh, so you're going to hear about places like um, you know, Jerusalem, Caesarea, Rome, Crete, uh, and you're also going to hear about people involved with this trial, people like the Jewish col- uh, the, the Jewish Council called the Sanhedrin, uh, composed of two parties, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. You're going to uh, you're going to hear us talk about people like uh, the Roman governors, first Festus and then Felix, who served under Caesar. And then you're going to you're going to hear us talk about the uh, Jewish King Herod Agrippa, whose true loyalty um, lied with the Romans. So. If you read the whole thing, which I'd encourage each of you to do, you'll you'll probably have this thought. This is my thought. This is is interesting and all, but it seems like Luke, the author, is just telling us when and where and what happened to Paul. What does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? But as I was rereading through this, Uh, section of Acts recently there was one theme that seemed to jump off the pages and that theme is ready for that hope the theme of hope if you did a quick search on hope in just the book of Acts alone hope shows up nine times seven of them are in this section of scripture this is the number one reason Paul is on, on trial His hope in God His hope in the resurrection of, of the dead His hope in God's promises To restore his people So this is, this is where we're going to hang out For the next month In the theme of hope So what, what does hope mean? Well in the Bible the, the word for hope is closely related To the word for waiting They're, they're sort of in some cases they're they're interchangeable for example psalm 25 verse 3 in the nlt it says all day long i put my hope in you in the esv it translates it for you i wait all the day long waiting is hard hoping is hard we can we can wait well and Wait not so well. Uh, I, I completely ruined my surprise on my fourth birthday. It all came down to my failure to wait. My mom was hustling and bustling, getting everything ready for the party. I don't know where the rest of my family was, but they were somewhere, and there alone wrapped waiting for me, calling for me, was that pile of presents in the living room. I was all by myself with this pile of presents. And I was especially glued or fixated on on this one present. It was the biggest one. And uh, I started to wonder what it could be. And uh, what began with wonder soon moved on to ripping just a tiny piece of the corner and ripping that tiny piece of the corner turned into tearing off all the paper from the gift, and there I was alone with my surprise—a big plastic police car with lights and sirens and the whole shooting match. Well, you can you can probably imagine my mom's reaction. She was a little shocked, with a twinge of disappointment. But what? But what stands out to me the most was my own feeling of disappointment with myself. I, I learned the hard lesson of the value of delayed gratification that day. Waiting isn't easy, hope's not either. Paul, um, just, just to set up our look at Acts, and I would just want to give you a little context. Um, Paul was in Jerusalem at the time, and he was in the temple where some people saw him. They made, they made up some lies. They stirred up a crowd and cited a riot against him because he was sharing the, the gospel so well and so effectively that he was drawing more and more people to Christ. The, the crowd was ruthlessly beating him and were about to kill him when the Roman tribune, which was the equivalent of, of a, a colonel at the time, saw what was happening. He rushed down, uh, stopped the crowd, pulled Paul into the barracks. When Paul said, wait, wait, wait. May I speak to the people? And the tribune, grant, uh, the tribune granted him permission. So Paul shares his testimony in the Hebrew language to his fellow Jews. How he'd encountered the risen Lord and how, and how the risen Jesus had, had commissioned him to go to the Gentiles. Now, when uh, Paul uttered that word, Gentiles, uh, the crowd starting, started going ape. Mayhem ensued. Shouting, violence. So the tribune had, had Paul dragged back into the barracks. At, at, this, at this point, tri- the, the, the tribune is still kind of foggy on the real reason Paul's uh, having so many issues with his fellow Jews. So uh, what do you do when you're a, a Roman official um, having this uh, trouble with your subject? You beat them. <laughs> you torture them. Well, they were just about to flog him when, when Paul says to the centurion, ah, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Well, Paul played this card at just the right moment because the tribune called time out or the, or the centurion called time out and he told the tribune and you could imagine the look on his face. He was pretty crestfallen. Beating and torturing non-Roman subjects was, was a normal way of life, a normal part of life. Beating uh, and torturing Roman citizens, that's a big no-no. <laughs> that's a mistake. And it could have cost him his job. So now we, we pick up at chapter 22, verses 30 through t- chapter 33. Uh, Sorry, chapter 23, verses 10. Verse 10. If you have a Bible and would like to follow along, that's, that's where I am. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers... I have lived my life before God in all conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. This is the key verse. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, The tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away uh, from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. Well, like I said, the key verse, the key statement is, it is with respect to the hope in the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial. Paul's statement is not a clever way to, to uh, divide and conquer. That's not what's happening here. Uh, no, it, it, it's the... It was part of the legal process of Roman times. It was a succinct, succinct way of, of stating the main question of the case against him. For Paul, the belief in the resurrection is not a game. It's not... Uh, Something to be toyed with. It was the central truth of his defense. It was the central truth of his defense. Paul's saying, fellas, the reason why I am on trial is because of the hope in the resurrection. Period. And over the next four four weeks, you know, we're, we're going to hear him say that again and again. I mean, he's basically saying the same thing at every step of his process, of his trial. So, throughout this this process, we're we're going to look at how how does hope in the resurrection change us? How does hope in the resurrection affect our prayer life? How does hope in the resurrection compel us to share this hope with others? But today, um, we're, we're going to look at a more foundational question, which is this. Who is the object of our hope? Who is the object of our hope? It's a good question for all of us to think about. Who or what is the object of my hope? So I'd I'd like to look at Paul's words to his young disciple Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 7 through 10. We, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we were uh, considering the, the spiritual disciplines and the value of the spiritual uh, disciplines. Again, it's uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 10. Paul writes to Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value... What's he saying? Paul's saying, I, you know, I, I know there are a lot of wackadoo myths out there. There are a lot of theories out there. Don't be distracted by them. They're a distraction. They're false narratives of, of hope. They're luring you away. In another place, he says, in 2 Timothy, he says, no, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Keep your focus, Timothy. Keep your focus. Stay grounded in the truth of the gospel. Stay grounded in the hope of the gospel. And don't be distracted by things like working on your physique. It's, uh, it's... It's of some value, yes. Um, eating well, getting plenty of exercise is, is a way to steward what God has entrusted to your care. So we should do that, but, we're but they cannot, they must not anchor us. They must not anchor us like the true hope that we have anchors us. Only God can do that. Hope is hope is not some uh, some ways of wishful thinking. Like uh, <laughs> I'll give you a couple of examples. I hope I get that parking spot. Or uh, I hope we're having pizza tonight. Or uh, I hope I win the lottery. No, 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 no. That that's not hope. That's that's wishful thinking. Um, in some ways, I feel like English needs a better word for hope here hope as in the as the bible speaks of it hope is the aching of those who are waiting for some unfulfilled promise to be fulfilled let me say that again hope is the aching of those who are waiting for some unfulfilled promise to be fulfilled you know we settle for small hopes, small H hopes all the time, not parking spots and pizza so much, but, but things like we, we hope we get into the right school. My, uh, my oldest is a, is a senior, and he's uh, applying to, like, all kinds of colleges, and it's exciting to think about his future, and it's exciting to think back to m- my college experience and how that sort of set me on a trajectory it's common we we hope to to find to find mr right or mrs right you know we hope to, to land our dream job we hope to have kids we hope to stay healthy we hope to have enough to retire we hope to have have enough to take a few vacations once in a while and and that's the good life right according to america that's, that's Paul's saying those, those hopes are way, way too small. They're, they're never big enough to sustain us, never big enough to anchor our lives. So if you live your life anchored to small age hopes, you'll be like tumbleweed, blown this way and that way. You probably heard the expression, she's so heavenly-minded, she's no earthly good. For me, uh, I found the opposite to be true. I am so earthly-minded that I'm no heavenly good. Why? Because I've I've settled, I find myself constantly running into the fact that I settle constantly for small-h hopes. We need and we have a big hope, and we can anchor our, our lives to that big hope. And unless our hope is grounded in God, we'll, we'll be swept away by these small-age hopes that, that never deliver on the goods that they promise. True hope, the big h hope that I'm talking about, is having confidence in the future that's grounded in God's faithfulness in acts in the past. True hope is, is having a, a confidence in the future that's grounded in, uh, in God's faithfulness in acts in the past. So, what does this look like for you and me? What does it look like for us to have hope? Not to oversimplify it, but I think it comes down to this. I think it comes down to admiration. Fixing our minds on things above, setting our minds and our uh, affections and our admirations on His kingdom, not the kingdoms all around us. Let me just review a few things that probably all of you, or most of you, know, okay? God, as revealed in Scripture, is the one and only God who who brought all things into uh, into existence. And how did he do it? By his word. God is holy. (laughs) We just sang about that. God is holy, 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 very other than anything else that exists, and he dwells in unapproachable light. And yet, the same God made us to, to be like Him and made us to, to, to live in, in the joyful gift of knowing Him. Well, we all, we all forfeited that. We, we all opted to live life our way, not His. And that's, that's called sin. Sin is like a spiritual cancer that we all have. And uh, God, God could have ended the human experience at, you know, as soon as Adam and Eve made their fateful mistake, but he didn't. God willingly, and at great cost to himself, chose to have mercy on us. And that, that's the whole climax of, of the story of the Bible. The, the whole narrative of the Bible is pointing to Jesus, our Redeemer, our Savior, who. Broke up open the heavens and came down and saved us. He died our death in our place so we can enjoy the life with him. We all forfeited. That's grace. So on the one hand, God is an unbelievable, holy, powerful being. And on the other hand, he's compassionate, merciful, and loving. So what's, <laughs> what's more, death, death couldn't keep an innocent man down. So Jesus rose from the dead, is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he tells those of us who believe he has seated us with him there right now as well. It's not something we're waiting for. Spiritually, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. He's ruling now. He, he's using the good, the bad, the ugly in life for our good in his glory by his sovereign care. That's, that's what we look back to. That is what our confidence is grounded in, what we look forward to, what we hope for, what we're waiting for, like I was waiting on my fourth birthday for that present. What we're waiting for is, is for Jesus, our King, to come back. And when he does, he's going to finally and forever put right what has gone terribly wrong in this world. How can we be confident in such a promise? Because of what he has done in the past. Our hope for the future and our sense of meaning in the present are all wrapped up in what he has done. What he has revealed about himself. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Paul repeats it when he writes, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. Like Katie was reading earlier. That's what it means to hope. Hoping means waiting. Hoping means waiting. The words to the old hymn we often sing uh, kept coming to mind. Oh God, our help in ages past our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Paul was, was facing massive threats, but he didn't lose hope. He, he, instead, he, he walked into. He didn't shrink back. He walked into. He faced those threats confidently. I want more of that. There is plenty of waiting going on right now. It's been a long year. We've got some pretty massive obstacles ourselves that we're all facing. For us, waiting and hoping for the end of COVID, for the end of suffering of all kinds that come, comes with it. We're, we're waiting for the end of isolation we're waiting for our kids to return to school and activities. We're waiting to the end of economic uncertainty. And we're, we're, man, this is a big one. We're waiting for the end of divisions. We have a, we're living in a very divided nation, in a very divided culture right now. That, that weighs heavy on me. Hoping means oh, waiting trusting it's it's, uh, it's no accident that this theme popped down at me when I was thinking about what, what do we need to hear right now in this part of Acts so let's pray Father with all that, that we have going on right now with all the difficulty, with all the hardship, with all the division, with all the suffering, with all the, the loss of life that we, we're watching day in and day out, we, we choose to set our minds on you. We choose to set our minds on what you've done and what you promised to do, not on our circumstances, not on, on our small hopes either. God, help us to be aware of all the ways we set our hopes on small things. Help us to see them in the light of eternity, yes, but, but help us to see them in the light of who you are and what you have accomplished on our behalf. Help us to repent. Jesus, you have shown us that you are, you are better than anything else this world has to offer So we love you, and, and um, we trust that you, you are working in us even now as I speak. We're excited to, to, um, to see what you have for us this month as we, as we look at, at hope. So we offer this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sing the doxology together. Praise God for